Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's Global Intelligence Update. We've got a great guest with us today, Sarah Bullen. And um, those that don't know who Sarah is, Sarah is a multi-published author, international writer, coach, and literal, literary agent, founder of The Writing Room and Ken Literary. She has had over 100 books published by writers she has mentored. I think the expertise of, of writing books, marketing books, is immensely powerful with you, Sarah. Welcome. Thank you, Thank you so much. Yeah, so I'll talk a little bit about my book and as well, and, uh, and how do you get your book out there? Not just how do you write a book. Um, the, the next step, the three steps to the journey, it's the writing, it's the getting a publisher or publishing, and then it's getting it in front of readers. So these are three like totally different journeys and each one is tackled separately. And I've just spent as a literary agent the last week pitching books to publishers, pitching and pitching. What do you want? What are you looking for? Um, and I think that's the first step authors sometimes don't think about is what are people looking for? We come from the point of view of I have something to say. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that now. How do you merge what you have to say with the way people want to be told things? And I think anybody who's a professional speaker already starts to play with those ideas. Um, I often call it the I've learned some stuff and I want to share it. But how do I share it? Okay, because a book is a longer beast than a talk, than a dinner party conversation where you can just tell your friends your ideas and opinions. So when we want to write a book, we are moving into the realm of entertainment, quite frankly. So I'm going to share my screen and just talk you through what I really call the how to build a book. Let me see if I can actually find this. Yes, I probably can. And I'm going to have to move everything around and do that. Um, how to build a book, because it really is a process of slowly and methodically putting a book together. And I know some people on the call and some people listening to a podcast may have a book already. But this is to think about, to implant these ideas when you think about, do I write, want to write a second one? So... Here's my, the book on the left is my latest book that came out in February, 2022. So that was 12 months ago. And I have spent the last 12 months promoting this book um, and trying to get people to read it. Now, it sounds like it could be simple because I had a huge publisher. Um, I really had a brand. This book on the right is kind of one of my professional books, but it's not simple. It's not simple writing a book. And it's not simple promoting about this particular book. It took me 10 years to live and it took me four months to write. And this book, which I think is a more kind of book a lot of people on this call may want to write, which is what we call a professional nonfiction. It took me 17 years of teaching and it took us four days to write this book. Why four days? Because all of that material was in some form already. It was in masterclasses. It was in mentorships. It was in things we had done. So this book was less writing and it was compiling. Uh, these are my first two books. Um, this book on the left I wrote in 2005. It was a bestseller. It was 
ridiculously embarrassing. And it was based on my sort of, I was a women's health, men's health, Marie Claire columnist, and they wanted me to write about sex and weight loss and horrendous stories about having a baby. The baby that I write about in that book is now 20 years old. She is at university. That was my first child. And I want to tell you that to this day, I have to attend baby expos, breastfeeding clinics, antenatal classes, and still be in that phase and talk about it like I'm in it. So remember that when you're writing a book, you're writing about a book where you stand now, but you are going to back it for the next 20 years of your life, if not longer, right? Those books on the shelves that have been there for a long time, you back them for 20, 30, 40 years as a professional expert. These are just some of my authors. I need to update that because quite a few of them have launched this year. Um, I'll talk about some of them and how we got their book to market shortly. But I want to, and there, that's why we write books, right? We write books because we want to have our books standing in a bookshop or we want to be standing on a stage and we want something in the back of the room. That thing that says, I've learned some stuff. I'm 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 talking my uh, my walk. Um, I've experienced this stuff, and I've actually taken the effort and to put it all down in one place. So most often, I want to just walk you through the eight steps to getting a book out to market. We're just going to go quite systematically down here, and I'm going to stop here. I'm going to stop here because this is the place that we always want to get to, and I like to say when you're writing your book, you should try and do it in four months. The first version of your book. I'm going to talk about what is that first version in a second. And unlike novelists, like Arundhati Roy, we can't just sit and wait. Sitting and waiting doesn't end in a book. Um, in fact, I have consistently found with 150 published authors in my agency and through my, my, my mentorships that it's not waiting. It's actually carving out the time in your diary, bulk time, to sit with your structure in place. The muse, as we call her, doesn't just flit around randomly. The muse comes when we are sitting with a blank screen or a blank page with an idea of what we want. And then if we sit long enough, something magic starts to happen. But that magic doesn't happen unless you're sitting there with a plan. So creativity is not something that's out there in this other realms. Creativity comes when we create the space, when we have the blank page and where we know what we, where we're going. And the first question that all authors have to ask themselves before they begin is, and that's step one of the process, is why this book? Why me and why now? Why right now in the world? And why now is very important because the we have trends. And in my pitching to publishers recently, I've realized that we're looking for certain things in the publishing domain at the moment. If you're in many countries, we're looking for exposés on corruption. There's a big distrust in what we call the management system of the world, okay? So a contemporary trend in publishing is who is actually controlling us and are there other ways of thinking? Kim, one of my authors, 
tapped into such a trend. Kim's a retirement expert, okay? All she talks about retirement, she coaches people. She's a CEO of Chartered Wealth. She manages people's money. But when she came to write her book, she realized that there's a trend in retirement in which people don't want to be called retirees. They think it is midlife. And they are going to become a modern elder. So look at the framing on this cover. The second life as a modern elder, right? Very clever. Talking to a market of 60 plus year olds who absolutely have value to add in the world. And they don't want to be retirees. Another of my authors, Megan DeBayer, she's a, she's a parenting expert and works um, with teenagers. But when we came to get her book to a publisher, Penguin published her book, the question was not what have you taught for the past 10 years in your parenting workshops? It's what are, what are contemporary parents looking for? And they are looking for, which the publisher came up with this title at the end of the day, How to Raise a Man. Really interesting, okay? In the world of gender fluidity, of um, not naming genders, that they took a stake and went, actually, we're going a little bit counterculture. We're playing a little bit of an antithesis game and we're putting a stake in the ground and telling people that this is actually what we're going to teach them here. Modern mother, very interesting because the children that are coming through today are the children of what we call the millennials. And that's where, so we're speaking to a parent who also thinks she's modern. Who's going to read this book? A parent, okay. We also specifically write a book, a book like this. Who is going to read it? A mother. Father's not going to read it. We've already cued you on the cover. It's the mother's guide. So start in your own life and your own teachings, thinking about how are you positioning what you say for the future? Well, looking at the trends and asking yourself, how am I an expert? Kim Poskit is an expert in retirement. Megan's an expert in um, uh, parenting. She's a psychologist. How are you positioning yourself as an expert? So the next thing you absolutely have to think about before you begin is these three things. Firstly, what is the genre? And by genre, I'm going to talk about that now. What are the psychographics of the reader who's going to pick up my book and what are the trends? Let's unpack this a little bit. The trends which I've spoken about a little bit now and I've already said when you write a book you must believe that you're going to hold that book in your hand for 20 years publishers also are futuristic they are not interested right now in what happened in 2022 just look at how there are no books about the COVID anymore right in fact if you pick up a novel I guarantee you and you read a novel and somewhere in it the author and I just read one um by um Oh, a crime writer, I can't remember, I'll tell you his name in a second, Kellerman. And he makes reference to them putting their masks on, taking their masks off. I want to tell you, I was irritated because we are over COVID, right? So we as readers are future seeking. And as authors, you have to even more project yourself into the future. So you have to be asking yourself, what's my next game? Okay. I've talked about whatever for the last five years. What's my next game? So I want you to think about that. Um, 
And these are what I call, just look at the trends. Just go and walk into bookshops. This is actually in um, Waterstone Books in Piccadilly, where I did a bit of research and I started to look at what are people wanting to read and look at? So I invite you to look at the trends, what people are actually buying right now and how publishers know it, how the covers feed into it. Look at this very contemporary color cover, scratching stuff out. Um, so start thinking, how are people, what are the trends? Genre. The question you have to ask yourself very specifically is, when people walk into a bookshop, on which shelf is my book sitting? Now, this can be easy or can be very, very difficult. Tony Robbins, where would his book sit on a bookshop? It could be business. He could be segmented in the psychology section, which is where you are going to find a lot of people like Anthony Robbins, Brene Brown's, the people who come up with thoughts, the Mark Mansons, they can be in psychology, they may be in business. What's very important is that you know this because not only is this required in a bookshop, but when you finally list your book on Amazon, print on demand or on Kindle where people find it, you can only select two places to list your book. So my suggestion is you go and look at the back end of Amazon, go and look at the genre lists and be very clear on where you think your book's going to sit. This is my book. So when you load your book on Amazon, you only have two places. This is write your book in 100 days. You only have two places, and where you list it is critically important. So this is the how to write your book. Look at where I've listed it. My latest book, which is Love and Above, A Journey Through Shamanism, Coma and Joy, which is a memoir, I was in complete horrors. My publisher launched my book. They did all of the digital stuff. And about three months later, I went onto the back end of Amazon to see where they had loaded my book. And the category they had chosen was religious leaders. So you can only imagine I had a little uh, moment and realized quite specifically that that is not where this book should have been. And I went and I asked them to move it. And the section I asked them to move it into is near-death experiences because it's a long book about being in a coma for a month. Um, so very important where your book's listed. Why is it important? Because where your book is listed is where your readers are. And readers know what they like to buy. And, if, and you know what you like to buy. And if you don't know, I do suggest you go onto Amazon and you scroll down and you can look at your recommended reading list because Amazon knows what you like to buy. And what they do in the algorithm of Amazon is that they are going to feed your books similar to the ones you like. So the second you go into like a psychology, um, you're researching, they'll start feeding you books that are very similar. So I want you to know that, that that's how readers buy books. They buy, they always buy similar books. And I think I want you to think of your own buying patterns. What do you like to read? Do you like current affairs? Do you like to read novels? And if so, what? Do you prefer, like to read business books? Um, and if so, how long or short do you like them? And the other reason you, we as authors have to be very specific in the nonfiction realm is when you actually list your book on Amazon, you can only give yourself seven keywords and that is how people find you. And that's how Amazon feeds you to the right people. 
So these are for the my writing, uh, 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 you know, how to write a book. Look what I've written. How would people search how to get published? Key phrase people may search for how to write a book, how to write a memoir. So you're going to think about what are your seven keywords that people may search for you on Amazon? How important are your categories? Really important. Look at Brendan Underwood. I don't know if you know this story. He's really hilarious. He wrote this book. He listed it on Amazon. It's called Putting My Foot Down. He listed it on Amazon in the category Transpersonal Psychology, where he was a number one bestseller. And all the book is, is a cover and 300 blank pages. And he has claim the title of best-selling author, number one in Amazon. This is his LinkedIn profile. Look at him in LinkedIn, number one best-selling author. So obviously for me, being deep in the world of publishing and story, this like makes my blood run cold. This is a marketing ploy, right? No, I don't want any of you to do this. I'm trying to show you. I want you to write amazing books that change people's lives and make them think differently and make them behave differently. But on the same, this is also what also happens out there in the world of publishing, because many people write a book just to get their name out there, to be recognized as an expert in their field. And that is a very valid reason to write a book. Right, we've done three steps, which is why are you writing this book? Uncover why we've looked at the trends, the genre, psychographics, and um, where you're going to position it and then we look at the place that no author can escape is what is the architecture okay what are the 10 pegs i'm going to erect so that my, my story hangs on and there's really no way around this and we don't overthink this this is where we come to the place of that i spoke to you about of being a reader and asking yourself what is the most obvious way i can break up the information i want to share with the reader in a basic list, okay, a table of contents, they can get complicated, they can be simple, this is Brenda Bouchard's one book, um, how simple and how simply can I put together what I want to say, I love a book that's got sections, part one, part two, part three, um, and then underneath that, breaking it into various subcategories, you know, when we talk about storytelling, there's a classic three-act structure that all stories have, and even non-fiction books. We feel like we want to take readers down a, a little journey with us. So I like a book that's broken up, but there are so many um, other ways you can structure your book. And I want you to go and look at some contents lists and ask yourself, is this the way that my book can look? But... <laughs> This is the hard thing. I think lots of you as speakers already play with this. If you are a speaker in the world of speaking, you've really asked yourself, what am I really saying? Because a book is not about you. It's about something the reader needs. Okay. So even if I write a book, which is like mine, about a near-death experience and being in a month-long coma and surviving, etc., the question I'm asking myself is, what is it really about? Is it about hope? Is it about survival? Is it about courage? Okay, so we often say this is a book about X, and that X is bigger than you. 
It doesn't have to be always positive. It can be, this is a book about sales as demonstrated by my 15 years um, of complete bombing out of the sales world. This is all the things I did wrong. We love those books, right? We love those books about what we did wrong. We don't always want to read about how wise and how learned people are. In fact, most often we want to read about the failures and then maybe a bit about the end, about what you learned along the way. So you think about that, the big idea behind your book and the books that sell, the books that sell consistently, they are based on an argument. So a big idea is also an argument you staking in the ground. Tipping point, Malcolm Gladwell, he came up with an argument. Little things can make a big difference. And he went out to prove it. Um, so he is what I'm going to call a research expert, the kind of book he would write. So you always have to be an expert to write a book. He would be a research expert. So quite a journalistic style. The other kind of expert you could be is the one these two would be, okay? They are what we call an expert of lived experience. We would also call this a layman's guide. Um, you know, Costa's not a, a drug counselor, but he went from a meth addict to running marathons. Lily Singh ain't, um, you know, a professional coach on how to be a boss, but she's worked her way up and she's got some stuff to share. So please know what sort of expert you are um, as well. And the third kind of expert you would be is a professional expert. A professional expert is the realm of the Kim Pothita, the, the retirement expert. She's a financial advisor. Megan DeBayer is a psychologist. She is speaking specifically about professional expertise. Um, Rolene Strauss, one of my authors as well. Um, she is a, a life coach. So she's speaking about being a beauty queen, but also she's speaking about self-confidence um, and how she had to rediscover it after being Miss Universe and then coming back to life. And I don't know if you know John Sarney. John Sarney positions himself as a research expert. So he would be in the vein of your um, Malcolm Gladwells. So he is saying, I've got some ideas. Here's a whole load of reasons that they're right because I found all these people who are doing it and it proves my point. And of course we have, this is what we call stake in the ground, right? This is called a big idea, big idea. And on a book, we state it on the cover. When you're a speaker, it's in the topic of your speech. Um, he's saying right up front, he's saying you can think rich or you can think poor. And the subtext I put in brackets is, and I'm going to show you how, right? I'm going to teach you how. But look at the story embedded in there, which we love. 41 million copies, self-published. No matter what you do, no matter what your table of contents is, no matter what you want to put in your book, which elements you want to put in your book, you still have to sit down and write it. And that's the place. It's hard and it's long. And there's many ways you can write a book. What you do want to know is a nonfiction book is 80,000 words. We can get away with 60,000 words, but it's quite tricky. That's going to make your audio book eight to 10 hours. Um, if you're writing anything smaller, it's hard for us to publish it. There's publishing standards. We like a, we like a spine, okay? So your book can be stocked in a bookshop and we can see it nicely sitting alongside Tony Robbins, Brendan Bouchard, Mark Manson. So we want a spine on a book which makes 60,000 words a minimum. 
Otherwise, you're going to be having a little saddle stitch thing, you know, a little staple, which we, I don't think you want. I think you want something that looks solid. It looks good. So I urge you to really work towards what are publishing standards in a book. One way you can write it is in something like a mentorship where you sit and you write. You sit four hours, blocks of time. Sometimes in my mentorships, we do we do eight hours a day for three days of writing because that's what it takes. And also you can get somebody to write your book for you. Okay. So I want to remind you that we're here, right? We're at this place where you just have to write it. And I say, and if I very specifically say, this is where the bones lie. This is the graveyard of authors. This is the place where we get stuck because it's hard. It is hard to sit down on your bum with your screen, with nothing but your ideas and fill a blank page. Day after day, month after month. And I am not going to lie to you. Writing a book takes time. Four to six months for your first draft, two months for your second draft. So we're now eight months down the line. Give yourself a year to get that book in a really good working state. And then we're going to walk the next path, which is how do I get it out into the world? But this place is a place we want to just drag ourselves through until we hit our 80,000 words and we have our first version Brene Brown, Annie Lamott call it the shitty first draft. And that it really is. And often with a professional person, if you've lived this, if you've spoken about it, it's not so much writing. It's more gathering the bones, gathering all those brilliant things you've said, all those amazing talks you've done, pulling them all into one thing, one holding thing, what Jung would call your crucible that holds you the wealth of who you are. And that thing we're going to call a book. So you're pulling it all into one powerful place. Um, and you're doing that with deadlines. You're doing that with groups. Or you can, so Sylvia's book's coming out now. She's in the circle of excellence. Um, she's one of the members. Um, I worked on Sylvia's book with her. Sylvia got a ghostwriter. Um, so Sylvia got somebody to write the book with her um, and Sylvia's book, please look at all the bookshops. It's going to hit the streets with a big way now. Sylvia has 200,000 people on her database. On her cover, she's got a shout by Lisa Nichols, who's the Mind Valley um, coach. She works, she works with Lisa Nichols, public speaking coach, and she's about to hit the ground running. And she did not sit her bum in the seat and do it. She had the knowledge. She got her master classes and we worked and got the book written for her. Um, so I have an author mentorship where I push you extremely hard to do the, don't you love that? Just stop mucking about, I say. Stop thinking about it. It's boring writing a book, guys. It's not exciting. It's drudge work and nonfiction. It's week after week. It's day after day. It's word after word. It's rubbish at first. And then next version is a little bit better. And then a little bit better, um, but you get there. You can also come to a very exotic location and write your book, which is so beautiful because to be inspired. And I often say this is where you come when you want to finish your book. When you've done your second version, you want to go somewhere. You need that inspiration. You need that something bigger than this is just my story. You want that little something that takes your book and makes it worthy of readers. And sometimes that magic just comes at the end. 
So the work of writing is drudge work. And the, the, the gift of publishing is the magic that we spin, the gold threads when you start getting into your editing. And then what is it I'm really saying? And what is it I want readers to feel? And what is it I want them to do? And you can only really get there when you've done the graft of the first version, the second version, and then some little magic can start to happen in a book where it starts to come together in a way that's different to what you expect. A book like that, so so Daniel's one of my writers, his new book's coming out, Daniel, as we call him, uh, a complete sleeper hit. Who was he? He was an entrepreneur who'd really messed up quite a lot, wrote a sneaky little book called The Billionaire Mindset, tapped into all the trends, the millennial trend, the Gen Z trend of you can be a billionaire and you don't even have to work that hard, right? Book has just taken off. He is flying. Please go look him up. You're going to see he's doing talks all over the world. He's just second books coming out in about two months time. 10,000 copies sold in the first few months. And that, by the way, is phenomenal. So I'm going to stop my screen share and say that we start the writing process not quite knowing what's going to happen. We just have a idea that we want to say something. We often want to reposition ourselves as an expert. And a book does that. And it's not a fallacy that it does that. It does that because it's such hard work. It's such commitment. It brings together so many things and ideas that it can't help but do that for you. So it does position you as an expert. It allows you to stand on a stage. It allows you to stand on more stages. Um, but the, and you don't always have to write it yourself. So I want you to also know that you can just have lived it. You can be the expert and you can pop that off to somebody else. who just will shepherd it, will midwife your book. And please know that all the big guys do not write their books. Michelle Obama does not write her books. Um, they're journalists, they're ghostwriters, they're the behind the scenes people. So that's available to you if you really know that you've got something to share. So I'm going to pause and see if there are any um, questions in the sidebar. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, Sarah, okay. thank you so much. That was so informative. And I think for those people that were on the edge of, of starting to write, I think that this is the sign. Do it. This is a sign, y'all. And this is a sign to start the journey because the journey is a long one. Your book will be out if you start it now in 2023. You'll get 2024 book lists are full. So the chance of you, your book will come out in 2025. But we are not in it for the short game. A book is a long game, right? And many people come to me, Alex, I'm going to come to you. But many people come and say, Sarah, I've got three or four books. And I often say, please don't, <laughs> please don't, please, um, please try and do one mega book. Look at Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Look at that book. Look at the longevity. So do one well, rather than think of, there's an American model, which I don't like. And in publishers don't like that. You must bring out a book a year. A book a year. So John Sarney um, has just signed with Jonathan Ball, one of the big publishers. I worked with John and I worked with Jonathan Ball quite a lot. And we had a meeting the other day for breakfast and the publisher said, oh, John's driving me mad. 
he's one of these speakers and he says he wants to bring out a book a year. And we're and there, publishers are like, no, please don't. We can't, we, we are slow, we're old, we like a good thing. We like that good thing to slowly sell, maybe in three years, maybe in four years, then your next book. So a book holds everything. So please remember that try and make one book that has all of it in it. Awesome. Um, that's, that's great advice. I think you explained everything so clearly, Sarah. We don't have any questions. Alex has her hand up, so I'm going to... Oh, sorry, she moved around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go for it, Alex. I, I do. The, thanks, Sarah. This, is, this has been great advice. Um, I come from an interesting side in that I sit in technology, uh, which means that technology changes, in, and specifically in emerging technology, uh, where things are changing literally what's now and what's in six months is going to be very, very different, um, which means that traditional publishing for me is probably not the right route because I, by the time 2025 comes around, what I've written now is completely irrelevant. Um, so I sort of, I suppose I'm asking in, in that case, when you are in an industry where it is moving fast, but people need the information in a way that is easy to understand, mm. um, and I mean, I'm sort of going the Amazon uh, Kindle route for eBooks, and probably just do sort of a print-on-demand type thing. Yeah. But what's your advice in that case? Because it's not traditional. This is going to last for ten years. This is something yeah. that's going to have to be iterated over time, and then probably scrapped when the new set of emerging technology comes along. Yeah, great question. So, firstly, publishers look for two things. They look for longevity because we garner sales over years. You know, two years, three years, you, your sales move and move and move. Palacuela's book's been twenty years on the shelf for Alchemist, and it's two hundred and forty million copies sold. So, we look for that. But at the same time, one of our biggest demands is current affairs. So, if you particularly look at the American and the UK publishing industries, and in Australia. One of the biggest consume, consumption of books is um, politics, okay, which means they come out very quickly, they're very positional, and they may be off the shelf in 12 months' time, 24 months' time for sure, but it is still a very good business model. So the second Biden was elected, there were 14 Biden books. Um, you know, the second anybody's coming into power, um, that we absolutely want contemporary current affairs. So in the world of tech, you have an option. When things move quickly, you either have to move very quickly as an author and get be the first out there, um, which is fantastic. And we love a Christmas book, by the way. Publishers love a Christmas book. So think about that. And um, I saw a question about self-publishing. I'm going to talk about that. And the other thing is digital publishing is highly available to you. So you can um, bring a book out and over COVID, we had a lot of our authors being commissioned to write books very, very quickly. Um, how to virus proof your business, how to X, Y, Z. Um, and those authors who got their books out super fast, digital is then your way of doing that. It goes straight onto Amazon or any of the e-readers. Uh, people and then the print on demand which is a division of digital which means your book is printed in any country in the world and the paperback will be through your post box three days later whether you're in germany singapore does not matter they pr they print it um in your territory and that will sell quick 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 books and then your book moves but the third part of that is always ask yourself is it a higher level concept if I'm in the tech fast moving world, 
could there be a book about the the 21 biggest tech mistakes of the decade okay so always ask yourself is there a bigger book so there's fast moving books and then there's high higher level holding books so you can also ask yourself questions like that Andrew, I'll come to the self-publishing and how to publish and the different methods. Anthony? Yeah, so so I have one reflection and one question. The, the reflection is probably that I'm just strengthening what you said. I'm, I'm in a process right now talking to a new, a new for me, new publisher. And, and it's not really an, an advantage that I have written books before because uh, uh, he says to me, I want you to, if you want to write a book with me, I'm interested, but it should be your legacy more or less. It's going to be that book. Uh, so you don't uh, promote any other books after that. And it's an interesting thought. So so I, I agree with what you're saying. You know, it should be that book you want to write. Mm -hmm. uh, that was just a reflection. The question is, when is that summer writing camp in Greece? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so the Greece, we go to Greece every June. Um, I also go to um, Tuscany every August. And we go to the beautiful island on Lamu, which is off the coast of Kenya. Um, in September. Gosh, I hope I've got that right. But yes, and I can send you the where all those dates are. So what you said is right, and it's not right, because if we look at a book like The Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown, this massive, huge book that made him a multi, not even a millionaire, a billionaire, that was his seventh book. Um, so it's right in that that was his masterpiece. Now, if you go back and you retrospectively read his other books, which I'm sure many people have done because his publisher re-released them all. The first seven, the first six books are kind of a little bit average. He's learning the craft. He's playing with his concepts, which is conspiracy theory thriller. Okay, his genre is thriller for novel writers. Thriller always implies a threat to life. Okay. So he chose the thriller genre to be in the world of conspiracy theories. Some people like uh, Michael Crichton have write a techno thriller. People like John Grisham may write a legal thriller, but it's still a thriller, guys. So I'm just making a genre point here. Um, what was I saying, actually? So what it is, and it's what happens when you write multiple books, they could be bad. I'm not going to lie. If I look back on my first book, I am so embarrassed. I just, I literally want to cry when I read it. Um, and not just like how revealing and embarrassing revealing I was about my personal life and my sex life and my poor children at the time. Um, but also how it wasn't greatly structured, you know, the elements. And I talk about elements in a book. You know, I brought in personal storytelling. I brought in case studies. I brought in science. I brought in psychology. So I brought in sort of four elements, but I hadn't done it very well. But um, what happens over time is your name becomes known. So suddenly there's just a brand recognition, a brand recognition. Your a publisher will never pull your other books, but they would like one to back and back it well. So you're absolutely right that, that beautiful book. And sometimes we have to write seven pretty bad ones <laughs> to get there. I'm not saying yours are bad at all. They're probably fantastic. But we write no, a book. It's, uh... <laughs> sometimes, and I've also realized over the years, we write books for different reasons. A lot of the times we write to actually understand what we're doing. We, we, we're looking back on what we've, our life work or some experience we've had or some lesson we've learned. 
And it's not enough to talk it out with a psychologist or your friends who really bored at the dinner table or a conference where you do 20 minutes. There is something bigger that has to be understood. And often a book is that. And in the process of writing, you're structuring your past and you're understanding what it really is that happened. And I find that again and again. I'm working with an author now, Karina Lyell. She's what we call... Um, She's a keeper of fire. She works in the shamanic world. She runs um, tending the fire immersions in the forests of Norway and Denmark. And she's a First Nation elder. And she's written a book for two years with me. And just yesterday, she said to me, Sarah, finally know what the book's about. It's actually about reconnecting to ancestors. And I thought it was about storytelling when I began but it's about something else okay Andrew I'm coming to you <laughs> yeah self-publishing self-publishing is just one of the ways we get our books out into the world in fact the the days of having to be endorsed by a penguin a little brown a Simon and Schuster are over self-publishing means that you believe your book's worthy, even if a publisher doesn't, because publishers have a very small book list, really. They, they, it's very elite and very few books are published per year. And you decide to take the financial investment of bringing your book out yourself. I'm going to say probably 80% of author speakers bring their books out themselves. John Sarney, who I referenced earlier, he's the futurist. All of his first four books, What's Your Moonshot, self-published with the publishing house so he paid for it and they did everything else um what are the pots so so in other words you will pay for the service most often i'm going to say just don't do it yourself don't go and get your nephew to do a cover go with somebody who is will do it with you they'll say we'll take you through the whole process there's lots of companies that do that they'll even get you into bookshops but you will pay for it or they may say something like, we'll do this for you, but you have to buy 500 copies of the book, which is the same thing. Um, what are the potholes? The potholes in self-publishing are exactly the same as anything else. You have a fantastic book in your hands. This book we self-published, by the way. They may deliver it into your bathroom storeroom and you have 1,000 copies. And the question all authors have to ask themselves is, how do I sell this now? How do I sell it? Because don't assume bookshops are going to do a thing. You can assume if you have a publisher that they will promote you for three months. That's what publishers do. They'll give you a publicist. They're going to get you on radios and podcasts and TV shows. But after that, then almost any published author who's not a big name will tell you what happens over the next 10 years is you slowly and consistently have to sell your book. And you can do that in many ways. One is to be a speaker. In fact, most of the best books are sold by speakers because it's back of room sales. The other is continually doing podcasts and putting your book out there. The third is book fairs. Get invited to speak at literary events and book fairs and nominate your book for all the lists. The best new author, best cover design, does it matter? Send your book. Your publisher, publishers do that automatically. But sadly, when you self-publish, you've just got to do a lot of that work yourself. Um, can you fail in self-publishing? Well, of course, you can sell five books. In fact, the average book sales across all books sold, self-published and published by big publishers, 
across the globe, the average number of books sold per author is 50. Sure. So just think about that. You're not there. Don't, don't think you want to blow out the world. You're not going to reinvent publishing. You're not necessarily going to, you know, have that as your big goal. But actually, you just want the right people who need to hear your message, who need to hear what you have to say, who need the information, Alex, like you. They need to know the trends. Um, they have a quest for knowledge or they have a quest for to feel something differently. You just need them to read your book. You don't need everybody. It's not for everybody. So you have to ask yourself as an author, what is enough? What is enough? Oh. And, and blogging. Okay, blogging. Yeah, blogging, fantastic way to write a book. Actually, that's what I'm saying. You list, it's, it's less writing. It's compiling. It's gathering the bones. All the blogs, all the little things, pull them together. 50 is not enough. No, it is not. Of course not. In fact, we want you, so a publisher wants you to sell a minimum of 3,000. That's our break-even point. Okay, we want to know. So we'll do a very careful analysis. We're going to look at you. We're going to look at your market share. We're going to look at how you're following. We're going to say, can he sell a minimum of 3,000 books? Yes, he can. Okay, done. Sign a deal. So Sylvia, who I showed you earlier, she has a following an email database of 200,000 readers. We know. Publishers just have, you know, okay. She's, we're not going to lose money. Put it that way. We're not going to lose money. Because let's not forget, publishing is a business. We, <clears throat> we want, so publishers want to make money. And publishers also have another need that's very important to remember. They want to record history. They are the scribes. They are the scribes of history. And if we didn't have books going back hundreds of years, our history would be lost. So we have a very big role to play in society because the internet and everything else doesn't hold the integrity as and the, 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 the richness and the depth of the written word. So publishing holds that. Well, great, great way to end it, Sarah, I have to say. Uh, we should quote those words. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So you can find me if you're looking for me at thewritingroom.co.za or you can look me up, Sarah Bullen, The Writing Room. You'll find me on anywhere. Great. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being the guest on today's webinar. And thank you to everyone listening and attending the live webinar. Hope you guys have a great day or evening, wherever you are. And we'll see you again soon. Bye, thank everyone. You, Bye.